Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life? Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. This is the Wednesday, December 27th show, and we're continuing on with our 2017 Industry Focus Awards. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, please go back and do that before continuing on with this one. I still have the whole gang around the table with me, so let's keep things rolling. Our next award on deck is something I'm going to call The More You Know, which is our Best Fact Award. Did you want me to go first? That's why I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dylan, um, Vince, and I don't have facts. So. That makes sense, to be honest. Um, oh! Shade! Wow, okay. <laughs> so, my The More You Know nomination, uh, I feel like I'm maybe shoehorning this in, but my best fact uh, for this year, kind of going into next year, is that in 2018, we could be looking at the largest initial public offering. Uh, so, what would be the world's largest oil company seeking a valuation of $2 trillion is Saudi Aramco, supposedly next year. So the the background uh, for this is that at the beginning of 2016, the new crown prince of Saudi Arabia dropped a bombshell that the kingdom was considering taking its national oil company public. And the company right now is uh, solely owned by the king of Saudi Arabia, commonly referred to in company parlance as the shareholder. The crown prince kind of threw out the two trillion valuation, uh, but there's been a lot of analysts uh, paying the valuation around 500 billion up to 1.5 uh, trillion. So it'd be interesting to see how it actually comes out for the IPO. So the sale would only be for 5% of Aramco. And the whole impetus behind it is the Crown Prince's Vision 2030, where he's trying to diversify Saudi Arabia's economy away from being dependent on, on oil export, exports sorry, and more dependent on um, alternative income. So he is hugely dependent on oil in order to help him get the money to diversify away Absolutely. from oil. Yeah, they're potentially getting, the five percent uh, could be about a hundred billion if they receive the valuation that they're looking for. So this hundred billion is going to go into a pot, and it's essentially going to be like a PE fund um, bet- bet- to back some investors in Saudi Arabia. Dang, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's just you and me on this one. So I'll go ahead and pitch mine. We'll just so you know say things. On on the last show, we talked a little bit about Equifax, and I want to follow up with a fact regarding Equifax, specifically. Rick Smith, the CEO of Equifax, walked away from the massive data breach. A very very rich man. He resigned from the company. Makes sense. What doesn't make sense is that he took with him about $90 million into retirement, which ends up being about 63 cents for every one of the 145 million customers whose personal information was exposed. Wow. Yikes. Well, that one just makes me angry. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Like, like Sarah's is cool, and that, that bothers me. <laughs> so, which is better? I don't even know. They're... Uh, if we're talking about investing and like learning stuff, Sarah's is better. You know, that's that's really exciting. That's really interesting. I guess that would make them the largest publicly traded company, right? I it mean, would, yeah. And and right now, kind of, there's a lot of rumors going around that it might be delayed till 2019, although the Crown Prince has come out and said, no, that's not the case. It should be 2018. Um, but right now, they're trying to find exchanges to accommodate the size of the IPO. So it's probably definitely going to trade on uh, Tadawal. I hope I've said that right. It's the 10-year-old Saudi exchange. And then, essentially, New York, London, um, Berlin are all competing for... Um, a stake. 
So anyway, it's just seeing how it plays out. I'm giving Sarah my vote because I don't want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wow. want to think. I don't want to think about Equifax. It's just going to annoy me. <laughs> well, Sarah, I got a follow-up question, if you don't mind. Um, do you know how far along they are in the process for the deal, or is it at this point still very much a preliminary consideration? At the moment, it's it's not 100% clear. They're not very transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I don't think that they actually have a broker right now. So okay. I think that that's still up for. Debate, which is why a lot of people are kind of suggesting that it may be delayed. Um, but the sale has really become emblematic of the Crown Prince's desire to transform the economy. So if it doesn't happen, it will be a big hit to him, uh, which I can't foresee happening. Sure. It's also going to be delayed based on oil prices because that I like inherently ties into the valuation of this company. And so if you think about the purpose of going public, it's to get this cash windfall, and you're not going to do that if valuations are suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And so OPEC, um, which is the organization of the petroleum exporting countries. I just had a meeting recently, plus uh, Russia and some other countries, and they agreed to continue the uh, set uh, oil production targets that they had last year, which a lot of people have credited with propping up the oil price. So the oil price is back up slightly from where it has been. And obviously, as you said, they're very dependent on having good crude oil prices in terms of seeking a good valuation. Their reserves, however, are so vast that even if you look at a valuation on $10, which, you know, it's crude oil, so it's not been refined, it's had no value added to it. Um, Even if you look on that scale, they would be valued over $2 trillion. Um, However, that isn't how oil companies are normally valued. You know, there's a lot of other things that go into this. But it it just helps helps people to understand just the scale of what we're talking about. So, yes, definitely crude oil prices have a huge impact. And if they do IPO next year, what's going to be really interesting to watch is what OPEC then does. Because Saudi Arabia basically has kind of the yay or nay vote in what um, OPEC does. And it's, they need to kind of transition slowly out of the agreement that they've made rather than dropping it. So so that will be a story to watch. And that also plays into this IPO story. And Sarah, if the award category was story to watch, I would let you have it. Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> just okay, got competitive. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and weigh in here briefly. So one of the things that's so fascinating to me about the Aramco story is the amount of both national and international politics and intrigue that's based around that. And so I think that that makes it the best fact, not just because it has a potentially much larger effect on the world economy long term, but also because it's just so darn interesting and it's got so many interesting layers. Sarah's Sorry got my to book. watch. Some could say. <laughs> some, some could say. All right, fine. I'll let you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply and understand fully so you can mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Okay, time for our next award. This one is MVP. So, uh, what product or business segment or company would you like to give the MVP award to? I'll hop in with another name. I I can't help but do this. Another name that I talk about quite a bit on the tech show. Um, And this is none other than Amazon Web Services of Amazon. Um, So, this is their web infrastructure arm. Uh, Amazon started the year at a market cap of $375 billion. And the stock still posted 55% gains in 2017, which is crazy to me. But some of that you know, is obviously due to their e-commerce business. Some of it's due to Prime. Some of it's due to the Whole Foods acquisition. They've done a lot this year. 
But really, all of that is enabled and made possible by AWS. You look at their books, in the most recent quarter, AWS posted sales of $4.6 billion, good for 40% growth, but tiny in comparison to the $39 billion the company booked in North America and international e-commerce. But those those massive retail sales led to an operating loss of over $800 million, while AWS created $1.1 billion in operating profit. So uh, Amazon's North American e-commerce segment is like in the $100 million plus profitability range. They lose money on their international sales. Single-handedly, AWS makes them operating profit uh, positive, and it really allows them to invest in the business, expand internationally, do cool stuff with Prime, do content creation. It is the little engine that could help Amazon take over the world. <laughs> That's a strong pitch. I'm that, going sounded, to <laughs> that sounded mildly patronizing. No, no, no. I, I truly meant that that was a strong pitch, and I was going to reply with another web-based service. And now Michael will top it. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can top Amazon. Amazon's pretty tough to beat. See, I'm coming in with humble now since you know the other tack didn't work on the last show. You're just going to get five different sides of Michael, or four different sides of Michael. Classic right? A-B test right there. <laughs> See if you get a better outcome. <clears throat> Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So Marcus is Goldman Sachs' new online consumer lending platform launched in 2016. It's ramped up to over $2 billion in loans incredibly quickly, uh, shortly after the last quarter ended. So your thought is probably, okay, cool. So it's a Me Too platform that's trying to copycat Lending Club, right? It's this online consumer loan sort of thing that you would use to consolidate your credit card debt, probably. But Marcus has a couple of distinct advantages over its competition. So first off, they offer lower maximum APRs. They only go up to 24%, whereas or it's 23.99%. I know, that's a lot. But Lending Club and Prosper are both right under 36% as of today, or as of when we filmed this. <clears throat> so it's a big difference. Um, now, again, that's on the upper end. On the lower end, they're all in the like, 6 to 7% range. But Marcus also has no fees. So everyone else charges some kind of fee, it, you know, origination, check processing, prepayment penalties, something like that. They don't do that. But let's look at this from a stock perspective for a minute, right? Because we are investors, and this is an investing show. Management's key argument for this product is that they're able to grow it at the rate they want because, unlike the fintechs, they have the capital to put behind it. And so they can scale it basically as they like. And one of the reasons it hasn't scaled a lot bigger is because they're lending conservatively with an average FICO score of around 700 so you know that it's a conservative product, which is a good thing for Goldman Sachs. This is, by the way, part of a larger Goldman Sachs move toward traditional banking and a little bit away from their, some of their investment banking roots. They are um, both trying to take, uh, take more deposits, and they're also trying to lend out more money, which are things that traditional banks do that investment banks tend not to do. In a rising interest rate environment, that is exactly the right move because that allow, enables them to pocket the arbitrage between what they're paying out on those deposits and what they're taking in from those loans. All right. Thanks, Michael. So um, I'm going to give sort of a niche nominee, but that was the nature of healthcare, I suppose. So I would like to propose the launch of the first ever gene therapy to hit the market, a CAR-T drug from Novartis called Kimraya. This drug and the science behind it could absolutely revolutionize cancer treatment. So far, it's been approved in a blood cancer called ALL, and another CAR-T from Gilead Sciences has been approved in NHL. 
These and other CAR-T drugs are working their way towards more FDA approvals in more different types of cancer. And when you consider that these drugs are showing up to 50% rates of complete remission months and months after initial treatment, it's hard not to be amazed at the hope that they're providing to patients who were previously out of options. Christine wins. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's saving lives. <laughs> it's, it's truly awesome. Mm-hmm. So something I'm curious about before, I think we have one more pitch for this one. We have one more. Um, something I'm curious about before we go to the next pitch is as a portion of the businesses, mm-hmm. how big are Marcus and the CAR-T drugs? So Marcus is tiny right now, and that's intentionally so because Goldman Sachs is trying to grow it thoughtfully and responsibly. Of the specific companies that I mentioned, Novartis and Gilead, relatively small, um, there are entire CAR-T developers where that is their entire business. For example, um, Gilead actually acquired their CAR-T segment, what used to be uh, an independent company called Kite Pharma. So for Kite, that was 100%. For Gilead, I'm not going to spitball a number, but it's a relatively small fraction. And to be fair, because these are new entrants in the market, it's going to take a long time for them to ramp up. And so it'll be a while, particularly as they try to get these fall-on indications in other diseases, before you really get to see what their full potential could be. It's not, shall we say, a more mature business like AWS. What I'm hearing is that they don't meaningfully contribute to operating profit. (laughs) (laughs) I think think what you're hearing is that their potential is, as of yet, completely, almost entirely unrealized. Ooh, nice retort there, Michael. Thank you. Okay, well, <laughs> Vince is like, now you guys fighting. are done tooting your own horns. <laughs> this is Vince. Uh, I'm going to bring up the rear here with my MVP nominee. Who I'm really excited about this. This is probably my favorite nominee of all the categories. And it is, drum roll, Oprah Winfrey for Weight Watchers. <laughs> so, back in October 2015, Oprah announced a multi-year partnership with Weight Watchers, becoming an advisor, board member, and 10% shareholder of the company. So at the time, Weight Watchers was struggling uh, pretty significantly. Uh, They had new competition in the weight loss industry from places like the tech world, thanks to uh, wearables, apps, and other alternatives. The stock was down about 70% year-to-date before the announcement of the partnership with Oprah. And afterwards, after the announcement, in just two days' time, the stock gained 170%. But, you know, as excited as investors were, um, the the stock did return to more reasonable levels in 2016. But we're talking about this year now, right? The 2017 awards. Overall, in that time, since the announcement, Weight Watchers has broadened its focus to include general health and wellness on top of weight loss. And there has been a huge impact that Oprah has had as a brand ambassador in terms of you know, reaching her fans and a lot of consumers with that kind of name recognition. So in 2017, for 2017, I'm nominating Oprah as MVP because Weight Watcher stock is up 300% year to date. Year to date? Year to date. It is one of the best performing stocks on the market, period. And if you listen to the earnings calls in the second quarter discussion, for example, you hear management say again and again how Oprah's partnership has been pivotal, pivotal the momentum that the company's seeing in terms of rising membership, rising revenue, and earnings growth. And I'm not going to say she's single-handedly responsible for all the strong results that the company's been delivering, but the company has definitely made big changes to its promotions and its product offerings as a result of the partnership. And she's become the face of the company. Her personal progress with Weight Watchers is a very powerful marketing tool. And in terms of just kind of the how impressive it has been for her own role, 
She initially invested $45 million in Weight Watchers back in 2015. That was for 10% of the company. Her stake is now worth $300 million. So that's me. For me, that's MVP material. So I think two things just happened that are pretty rare here at The Fool and in the broader investing world. Number one, Dylan just got blown out of the water. And number two, (laughs) Amazon just got blown out of the water. Yeah, that was an incredible <laughs> that was an incredible pitch for a couple different reasons. I think one, you have incredible company performance. Two, you have something really cool as like a hook into it. Like I like that you had a person figurehead yeah. part of it rather than it just being a business segment. That that wins. Well, I mean, especially when you think about what MVP means, like most valuable player, that's Oprah. Yeah. I mean, who can compete with Oprah? <laughs> Apparently not Amazon. <laughs> I would love to see that battle. <laughs> Oprah takes on Amazon. You know that they probably have to have some Weight Watchers Amazon partnership at some point down the road. There's got to be a way to deliver that. Yeah. Sure, I can see it. <laughs> well, so <laughs> I, I, it sounds unanimous. Vince has taken home MVP. Unless Sarah just wants to throw a contrarian vote for the heck of no, it. No, no. I, I think... Vote for Marcus. <laughs> I think 300% year today is uh, pretty compelling. And you gave a very good pitch. Dylan, your pitch was also really good, but not quite as good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Notice she didn't say anything about that. She maintained a diplomatic silence with the other two people at the table, but that's that's okay. okay. It was a two-hole straight. (laughs) All right, we have reached the end of today's awards, but we will be back tomorrow with the third installment of our four-part awards show. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. The show is produced by Austin Morgan. For the whole gang, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!